This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What is up? This is not Denny. This is Luke. Uh, Denny's taking care of some business. He's probably going to join us a little later in the show. Uh, Playtech also taking care of business. We call it TCB here at Power Athlete. In the biz. It's a hashtag typically. But you have Callie Hinsman. (sighs) (laughs) Who sounds like a transvestite because I lost my voice. Transvestite Callie. And then you have Bizarro Tex. (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so in the pre-show, Tex has been dropping in and out of this call. So you're probably getting a lot more Cali loop than Tex, but Tex is here. Tex, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. We all can hear you. Us <laughs> and the zero viewers and listeners. Uh, so we have an awesome show today. It's awesome. Awesome. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about speed, speed under the barbell, and what we've observed here over the past couple weeks and uh, with some of the training that we're experimenting with over at Power Athlete HQ and a lot of the research that Tex and John have been doing and some discussions we've had with uh, with John's Rolodex of, of specialists. So we talked a little bit last week how John's been on the phone with guys like Rip, Louie, uh, Dr. Fred Hatfield, and court, trading emails with uh, with other coaches on on this speed issue that we're we're observing on a lot of the critique my lift type stuff on Power Athlete HQ. So that's what we're going to focus the conversation on today. Yeah, the one thing about John is when he gets his mind set on something, uh, <laughs> regardless of what that tangent might be, he can't get his mind off of it. And so uh, we have been the guinea pigs of all of the speed training um, from you know. From the west side stuff that he's pulling and some stuff that he talked to hatfield about so it's been an interesting uh two weeks i guess you would say and and speaking of dr fred hatfield uh so he's the author of a book that we we utilize here at power at the hq developing seminar staff he's the author of power a scientific look at uh at strength and conditioning for power and john was fortunate enough to spend i mean he was on the phone what 90 minutes with him yeah, yeah. And uh, we we got to listen in on that conversation, but our viewers are going to be lucky enough as well, and or listeners, I guess, because Hatfield is on next week, right? 18th. The 18th. Okay, so August 18th is going to be uh, is going to be the date that we're going to be recording with Dr. Fred Hatfield. If you don't know who he is, uh, he's a sports scientist, uh, PhD, and uh, one of the first guys to squat over a thousand pounds raw. So, uh, for, over 40. Over 40 years. So, what he else, Tex? He was just wearing jean shorts in the squad. Well, they jorts. weren't. Yeah, they were jorts, not jean shorts, <laughs> uh, because the pockets were hanging below the, the cutoff point. Fashion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, Tex, you still have to figure out your, your jorts are way too long. Game time. He's just trying to, he's trying to make an optical illusion that his legs are longer. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, so the first thing we want to, I guess, let's talk. Let's talk a little. Uh, we'll talk bullshit at the end. But um, 
So training for speed, uh, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we talk about this a lot in terms of it's not like you can get handed the best program in the world, right? But it's not in the programming. It's not necessarily in the set and rep scheme. It's not in the volume intensity loading. Uh, that is part of it, but, and uh, certainly an important part, but if you wanted to maximize power output and rate of force development, there's a certain way to execute your lifts. And that's the model of compensatory acceleration, which Hatfield has done a lot of research in as well. And uh, he has his different components of power and strength, and we'll save kind of the nuts and bolts of that for when he's actually on the show. But one thing that we have been training over here for the past couple of weeks is, is really focusing on compensatory acceleration, taking much smaller loads and accelerating the bar as mechanical advantage increases. And uh, I guess observing what Callie and I, we were talking about this morning is we're just as sore, if not sore yes. from lifting loads in the 60 to 70 to percent range as fast as we can for 20 reps, 25 reps. Right. It's kind of shocking. Yeah. It's a maximal. I mean, it is a little, little higher volume, like five by five, but um, it's, it's pretty surprising. I mean, that just that speed and we were actually uh luke and i were kind of playing with my depth as well because um i've been squatting a little bit too deep and we've realized that kind of the most advantageous position for me is going to be below parallel parallel but not as astrograss as i was going um that's actually making my my turnover speed faster mm-hmm. and in turn making me sore shit. so it's been it's been an interesting ride yeah Can and all that all that makes sense. Uh, I mean, because Kelly, you're getting more hamstring by. <laughs> I'm sure if we uh, if we watch some video, uh, you right. got a more positive shin angle. And the second is you're hitting motor units, you're hitting muscle fibers that you weren't before. So you're just sore in the places clear, like uh, that old saying, you're sore in places you didn't know you had. Yeah. You're hitting those muscle fibers that you weren't hitting before. So they're fatigued, they're hurt, they're ripping. Yeah, exciting times. And uh, one thing, you know, in terms of that reversal speed and reversal strength, um, John has me playing with the temp. I I guess we don't really subscribe to a tempo on the way down. We've always said, hey, slow and controlled. And usually weight and and load will dictate the speed that the bar travels both on the concentric phase, well, primarily on the concentric phase, and the eccentric phase. Um, But Tex, I've been speeding up my eccentric loading pattern and I get much more whip and a much faster turnover out of the bottom as well. Yeah, the um, when I was out there, John was squatting and he was having me just kind of, uh, I guess, coach and watch him. And he was trying two different styles. One was that slow controlled and then it's mm-hmm. move out of the bottom. And then it was the controlled, but you mean you're moving that way with force. And that was mm-hmm. definitely... Ah. In and out. I'm assuming that was definitely, uh, there's a much more visually obvious, like it was obvious to the the coach's eye that the turnover speed was more of what, uh, again, in in Hatfield's power curve, more of like a check mark versus a kind of a a smooth curve. So if you can picture um, the bar going down and the time it takes for you to turn over that, that bar and start generating force in the positive direction to the concentric phase, uh, it should be a nice steep angle rather than a smooth curve. And again, yeah, so just... think, 
It's it's usually a roller coaster, kind of a smooth curve down and, and a big up, but you want more of a check mark. Right. So and, and we'll get some we'll get some visuals, I guess, up on the show notes for people's if, yeah, They're like these idiots. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. And I think it's important to note, too, that um, when people are playing around with the speed of the eccentric uh, like Luke was, you know, and John Adam doing, it's all sort of predicated upon you being able to still, even though you're, you might be going a little bit faster on the eccentric for a faster turnover, it's all predicated on you being able to control it as well. So um you know i think that like luke his system and his back and his torso is uh pretty rigid throughout but i can see people playing around with this and just out of what we've seen through seminars and the contact that we have with our athletes you know a breaking point is going to be that that torso lean and that's going to be a broken back and so you know obviously play with the speed but um with a fast for a fast turnover but nothing re really should be creating a torso lean or some sort of um, disjointed concentric movement, if that makes sense. Yes. So the uh, I'm I'm riding on uh, vertical jumps right now or jumps period, and I think this type of squatting is going to help carry over to the jump because there is a more focus on alignment. Sure. So balls. Yes. In text, I'm just going to jump in and in a perfect alignment and a perfect movement. We're just going fucking hard. Yeah, and that's and that's the big thing, and that's kind of what's triggering this too. Is John and I were sitting back and rapping, and you know you have. I mean, I'll just go ahead and expose myself. I mean, is this when you were actually rapping when you guys were practicing, like you guys were beatboxing? Well, I was dropping the beat, <laughs> and uh, John was laying down rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, in terms of what do you, we had that what are you training for talk, and we always like to sit back and revisit it, and. You know, I just want to run fast, be strong, jump high, do all that stuff. And, you know, in terms of my body weight, size, and uh, and lifts, I'm I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And I think I'd like to steadily progress. And I know that's, that's not going to come quickly. But, I mean, squatting 450, power cleaning over 350, but jumping 28 inches? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's just uh, I know back in the – before years ago, we were testing at Balboa and me and Nate before we did the plyo circuit. And I was in the like low thirties, which I'd like to be in the mid to high thirties on a vertical jump, but I've just never really been a good jumper. And, yeah. Uh, but you were just a young buck. You were a spry, you, you know, you had that twinkle in your eye. You were just like, you had a lot of moxie back then. And you know, just life is just, it's just, it's weighing on your shoulders and it's affecting your vertical jump. Uh, but, but also reps. How many fucking cleans have you had? How many fucking squats have you had? And sure. The number of jumps as well. Sure. And then we actually, uh, Luke and I were talking about that um, as we were practicing some plyo stuff. And I said that a huge part of this, I bet you in, in two weeks, if we practice vertical jump three times a week, uh, that there would be a huge learning curve because of just, just out of nature of, uh, it's a skill. It's a skill that you're performing with timing. It's a testing skill, just like any skill like a 5-10-5 would be. At some point in time, you know, ultimately you're going to taper off and speed and change the direction and speed is going to become the factor. But you really are like in something like a 5-10-5, I mean, you got to know how many steps you're taking. You've got to kind of get a feel for 
um, the new skill, just like a vertical jump. And so, yes. you know, I wonder if, you know, if we just practiced it, like, you know, almost mm -hmm. like any other gymnastics movement, if we could get the timing and then sort of milk out, like, you know, just the plyo aspect of it. Oh yeah. But I mean, I think jumping should be like riding a bike. Though. Listen, you know, like if you are like, I want to be able, here's what I want to be able to do. Jump over a bike. Well, I want to be, right. I want to go out, maybe have a couple cocktails, <laughs> get, bet somebody that I can't jump over a car driving at me at, yep. let's say, 50 miles an hour. <laughs> and I just want to be able to jump that over that car. <laughs> that video we were watch, watching yesterday, how did we get on that video? I have no idea what you're talking about. The Miley Cyrus one? No, the one where the midget's jumping over me. <laughs> or a little person. Little person is jumping over a, a what, remote, control, a remote car. control car. And he's like, Take that, Kobe. Kobe, yeah. <laughs> okay. All righty. This well, is what that type of information is going to come at the end of the show. Yes. Denny K, everybody. Denny, what's up? What's up? What's happening? What? Are you okay? Are you, do you need my assistance? Do you need a something? <laughs> yeah, I'm just crazy back here. Crazy back home. It was, uh, it was the voice's birthday yesterday. So maybe he's, uh, he's a little hungover. The oh my voice? God, dude. I don't even know where to start with that. But yeah, it was my birthday. All is good. I'm alive. We'll get the details at the end, but yeah. then just to bring you up to speed, we're talking about, uh, you know, just uh, jumping and what we were doing in terms of training for speed. Uh, and, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of bring it back full circle right now. She's as a little segue in the sense that, um, you know, when we were out here, a question that was brought up is like, well, should everybody be training like this, right? Should right. everyone be trying to lift the bar as fast as possible? Um, uh, directly related to the in the reduced load, right? So let's say you're squatting and we like to at the at the CrossFit football seminar, we compare two different days uh, as an athlete progresses through through the the amateur progression, right? Uh, so they progress through, progress through, then they move on to the collegiate after after a, a few months. And what we find out is we need to balance volume and intensity. And so should all athletes, assuming uh, uh, regardless of field sport, sport of fitness, or training goals, on volume days, should all athletes lift the bar as fast as possible? Text thoughts, go. Uh, yes. Why? Uh, because when they do their, let's say, let's call it metabolic conditioning, when they do their metabolic conditioning, they're going for you know, that work capacity and how much can they accomplish in the said number of time. So this is right. their opportunity to hit those muscle fibers where you're sore. It's, it's the bar in your back, move as fast as you can, period. And then we're going to have time for your training, uh, oxidative and glycolytic pathways. So this is your opportunity to hit those muscle fibers and, uh, be explosive for once. And uh, it, back when, uh, geez, it must've been like, in the 20 episode 20 something remember we had dr tom Inkledon on and we were kind of taught we were rapping about uh i was laying down a beat dr <laughs> tom was laying down some rhymes it's mm -hmm. like dr dre but dr tom and um but he was talking about how higher caliber marathon runners improve marathon times with an increase in fast twitch muscle fibers so there's an example mm. of a predominantly like oxidative and slow twitch athlete who's doing low slung distance and that's you know physiologically 
that's the demand of their sport. And the people who are have a higher capacity in that training style would would excel. But what Dr. Tom was saying is there's some research showing that increase in fast twitch muscle fibers would even improve in marathon runners. Yes. So I think the increase in uh, your your phosphagen pathway and your fast twitch muscle fibers, that rises all ships. Mm-hmm. Well, if you just simply focus on uh, either glycolytic or oxidative, then you lose the phosphagen, you lose the explosive, you lose the fast twitch. But would you say there's a point in time where, depending on your sport, uh, could be a marathon runner, could be a cross feature, um, where it has mm, diminishing returns, or it could negatively impact, like how much is too much? Is there such thing as being too strong? Yes, 100%. I mean, not in real life, obviously, but you know. You have to kind of find out who you are as an athlete, because a marathon runner, no matter who you are, you're going to have to turn on the jets at some point if you want to be competitive. Right. I mean, uh, even at the the Olympics, the last mile, the last half mile, those guys are they're running faster than I can run a mile still. So, I mean, they turn on the jets and they need it. But if they were to train like Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt, they wouldn't be in the Olympics as marathon runners. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Good talk. So what, uh, so then I guess getting into, uh, and I, I just pulled up chapter 16 of Dr. Fred Hatfield here. It's called endurance and strength. Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> he's hilarious. I love the way he writes. He's, yeah. he's a pretty like tongue in cheek guy in that book. And, uh, it's, it's a relatively book. If you guys are looking for a book, that's like relatively digestible, uh, that would be it. And like I said, he just kind of has like this. Um, kind of uh, joking style to him, which is which is nice. So what? Uh, so text. Can you bring back? So let's say, let's say you've been training, you you've been tapping in that glycolytic pathway, and you've been you've been wadding, tri wadding, quad wadding, whatever, and uh, you're in the best shape of your life, but you decide uh, to to make a shift in training or maybe even utilize the same training but want to go faster uh what does what does that conversion look like and in you know i guess great great question so this is uh this is where uh i had a lot of conversations with raf about and then trying to find this in books and uh francis francis says basically take three weeks off and don't go right into explosive. And then if you're a naturally fast twitch athlete, then you're gonna start to go back to your the way you are. Um, and so in Raf's approach, we talked a little bit like that gluing effect. Raf thinks that uh, based off manual resistance, you basically tear those muscle fibers and then, um, then you try to do something dynamic and explosive right afterwards. And so there's new, stem cells that go to your torn muscle fiber that go there and then they say okay you're going to be a muscle fiber okay then then they don't know if they're going to be fast they're going to be slow or whatever so that dynamic movement or training uh tempo runs the next day whatever is fast they have a decision make and it's the next training it's not recovery wrong in there He's on pause. Fast twitch fiber. So then they make that conversion. So again, this so text go back. It's the next training isn't a recovery run. 
So, I mean, that within 75%, so if you look at field strong recovery runs, those are still pretty uh, technical form wise, and you're still going through the full range of motion best you can. But I'm talking, uh, you know, go out and jog. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, again, just theory. And these are just based off conversations. I'm looking, I'm diving. into the research <laughs> and he's center at so that's so it's actually cut, you're cutting in and out but um so that's one of one of texas research initiatives now is is bringing back the fast twitch muscle fiber and uh you know there's there's research and literature that says once you lose it it's gone yeah. and then there's there's guys like uh charlie francis and Raphael who are saying you know there are techniques that we can utilize to start to take let's say those uh, Jekyll Hyde fibers that can go fast twitch or slow twitch and convert them potentially from slow twitch back to fast twitch. Text, am I, did I summarize that correctly? Uh, I lost you on that one, so. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this also kind of comes back to, I'm sure Tex, like, as he does more research on this and something we talk about at seminars too, uh, something that has an effect on this is going to be your training background too. Right. So I guess I'm just curious as to whether someone like Ben, uh, one of our other coaches and somebody that we've worked with for a while, you know, with his soccer training background, is he past the point of, I guess, uh, optimizing that Jekyll high transition, like as training age, uh, is continues. And as you, you sort of develop more slow twitch muscle fibers, is it going to, does that make it exponentially more difficult to then convert back? Or, um, cause as you mentioned before, Tex, you were just saying like, take three weeks off. And if you were a naturally fast twitch athlete, it won't essentially take you long. You kind of go just back to that and you sort of initiate there. But, uh, you know, what about age? What about uh, training background? You know? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things we say is is uh, kind of form follows function, and the reverse is that is if you play soccer, you know, you're just going to kind of turn into the form of a soccer player. So, I mean, Ben's going to be in that type 2 AB. He's going to be able to turn on the jets when he needs to, but he's still going to be able to go a long time. So, I mean, that's the evolution. Maybe that's just who Ben is. And yeah. Ben his genetics he found success at soccer so there, there's so many levels to that conversation um yeah sure sure it's it's awesome that's why uh you know we're diving into that research yeah <clears throat> interesting but uh i mean uh, when i was out in california or when john and i were talking about the test results uh, we came up with a new power athlete t-shirt i don't know if luke approves but it's going to be save the type 2 fiber yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's no longer. Or I'm off of creative. It's you're gonna have to bribe Harry to get that yeah. one going. In Boston, working with some some Reebok CrossFit Games athletes, and just working sprint technique, and just uh, a couple things we noticed were extremely flat feet, zero hamstring, and they were so tense when just sprinting ten yards. But then you put 405 on their back, they can do 18s rest with ease. So mm -hmm. these, are, these are things that are not in the books or the reverse is in the books. So it's, we just had to go back to the drawing board and ask the question, like, why? 
So it's kind of interesting, like that kind of goes back to we're talking about creating tension in the system and putting maximal force on a bar, that type of thing. Do you think that they were tense because uh, A, they were doing something that was unfamiliar to them and things that were relatively new, and that was their stress training response is to kind of tighten up and get into that um, maybe elevated shoulder position, um, crazy you know robot arm swing, or is it that they just tighten up because that's what they're used to in terms of moving a barbell? I, I uh, going with your first one that it's a new movement, and so mm-hmm. they're uh, they're stressed about that. They're nervous. They're putting everything they have into trying to perfect this movement pattern. So they're overexcited, and it prevents their just kind of neural pathways from just they move like we're asking you to. Yeah. They're almost trying too hard. We put we put one girl into a dead bug, and she. I mean, we see people shake uh, at seminars, but this girl just went into convulsions and she could not isometrically hold to save her life. It was crazy. Unbelievable. So it's just she was uh, her muscles were overexcited. And uh, just another conversation uh, I had with Raf, just an informal one, and I got to do more uh, just diving into research on it. It was it was based off the all or none principle. And yeah. Raf, Raf didn't necessarily buy in. It was kind of this balance um, between excitatory neurons, neutral, and inhibitors. So if you're overexcited, then those kind of uh, you're stressed, you're tense. Those muscles are overreacting. Mm-hmm. And you see it in sports as we grow up. Eventually, uh, it just kind of it be. Ah, we're losing you. No, it's it's a it's a. Con- so, Tex, it's a control of essentially your emotions as you mature as an athlete, right? It's, it's yes, it's emotional, it's neurological, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, in the, that reminds me of a story. Oh God! So there I was. Is this a two seconds left last night in the flag game, football? In the flag story. football game, right? We're up by six points, and the other team we're on defense. The other team is on the eight yard line. Well, Arbitrary. needless to say, by team one, uh, we batted down the pass. But I was talking to my girlfriend, who's also on the team, and she's like, how nervous were you on that last play? She's like, I was shaking. I could barely even move. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean nervous, shake? I'm like, you got to get your game face on. But as a, you know, as a champion, as a winner, as an elite athlete. Act like you've been there. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, uh, when you, <clears throat> like, in the heat of the moment, you know, when the bullets are flying, it's your ability to be cool uh, and and compose and maintain that composure. It's also sand flag fucking football. It's party league, Kelly. It's, it's it's not the pre-party league. This is a party league. It's pretty like to me. I'm just like sitting in the sand, like playing, making sand castles. Like I, that's I how non-stressed a, I am. If that's that was you, what it was, I would make the best sand castle. Dude, that's how you, you psych people out like that. That's how you psych people out. Just act like you don't care. And then maybe you do care. But Callie, when we played, uh, I know we played a game together way back when. You had those guys that were overexcited. It's crazy excited, yeah. They sucked. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do have that effect. So, uh, so- those guys did suck, honestly. <laughs> uh, those guys were heinous and terrible. And you know what? They were terrible sportsmen. Um, their 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 emotions were excited. They were 
very, very tense. So yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I remember that Tex and I were just kind of like passing, exchanging glances at each other. Like every two seconds, like these guys are the biggest fucking douchebags <laughs> I have ever seen. Uh, but that's probably the pre-party league. The pre-party league. Yeah. Um, so I, I opened up, uh, I got my raft notes here and I opened up our, my just kind of informal notes on that. And it's heightened excitatory for amateurs or teaching anyone a new skill. So that, that could be us kind of learning Taekwondo or some shit we've never done before, like swimming. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when that, uh, excitatory neurons, they go into cause overdeveloped musculature and tension. So bigger doesn't necessarily mean, you know, more powerful. So that's something to keep in mind too. And then you want a left to right shift between excitatory, neutral, and then. And then something else. Text repeat. <clears throat> Threshold of, of excitatory neurons for fluid movement and less tension. So we talk about moving seamlessly and effortlessly, effortlessly through space. It's it's in your central nervous system. I, I know we've touched on that a little bit, but emotional emotions, central nervous system, it all comes back into athleticism and performing on sand football. Have you guys ever? <laughs> Thank you, Tex. Have you guys ever dealt with athletes either in gen pop or like somebody who maybe is attending a seminar and they are the epitome of exactly what you're talking about. So not just like this girl who was doing the dead bug, but like, so for instance, somebody who's new to barbell movements and they are, I'm thinking of a couple people in particular that Luke might be familiar with that Balboa who are just so tense and everything is 110 miles an hour, regardless of the weight that's on the bar. And it's almost it's uh, almost uncomfortable to watch because you're like, you know, you watch them do something like toes to bar and you're like, this person is an insane person, you know, like they have no, they're trying to control their bar, their body. Um, and they're, I, I don't even know if that's what it is. They're seeking, um, body control, but they're seeking that control at 110 miles an hour. It's insane. I like, uh, I like to reference, uh, kind of working with college athletes. It's a freshman who you know they're good because they were recruited to come play for you, mm-hmm. but then they are just overly excited. They're athletic, but they have those nerves, that tension. Uh, and then as they progress as uh, as a as a football player, or lacrosse player, as whatever player, then they're just calm, cool, and then they eventually get themselves. I mean, if you if you just hear the thing, rookie mistakes, freshman mistakes. Those guys are there for a reason. They're great players, but then they just kind of they tense up and then they lose it mentally. And then, depending on it, are they able to recover? Uh, it's, I mean, different layers of this. So that's why it's so exciting to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know how I can. I have some terminology to identify these super tense guys with. And then at the, I mean, at the, at the crux of it as well, Tex, in terms of training those athletes. I mean, it, the, the responsibility then is imposed upon you as the strength coach to put them in the most, I guess, stressful situations with a variety of of situations and variables. skills and variables so that, uh, you know, we talked about practice a few episodes back, but I mean, that's, that's a, a piece of this thing too. And that's how it's all kind of wound together is you know, your training should be representative of the demands of your sport. And those demands come in various threads, whether it's physical, 
emotional, mental, uh, situational, whatever. And, yeah. uh, and yes, that is where strength conditioning that is where we come full for, full circle. And it's, you know, it's our ability to kind of uh, communicate with the sport coach and tell them the way how you develop coordination, coachability, your athlete's ability to kind of handle stress, your athlete's ability to handle failure, and then get back under the bar and do whatever it takes. So that's, that's why we're here is the weight room is that opportunity. And uh, that's why I freaking love this stuff, love this job. And, uh, you know, taking on anyone that's willing to learn, it's just those coaches that don't want to hear and listen to it. That's, that's where we kind of, that's where I, I'm trying to figure all that out. How do you communicate that to those guys and get them to understand? And it's a shame that that's where, you know, in our experience, that's where a lot of coaches fall short, whether they're working with teams or even general pop is you underestimate the impact and training effect you can have on an athlete outside of just the physiological adaptation. Well, yeah, the thing is everything has a training effect. And I think that's really what it comes down to mm-hmm. adverse or uh, positive, you know, and so I, I think that, you know, people don't see it as an opportunity to um, optimize the time that you have with an athlete. Like everything has a training effect, everything you do. And that's why I'm sure Tex, you've enjoyed like so much of your time with Roth because he more than anyone realizes that. So he, he takes that like 360 approach, if you will, in terms of mental, that physiological um, all the adaptations that are going to occur within the weight room and how they transfer. And, and I'll tell you uh, just one of the great side notes from being down there was I was forced to learn new skills again. So it wasn't like playing lacrosse, which I, I've done for years. It wasn't, wasn't like lifting weights. I mean, I could do any of the crazy lunges or whatever, but it was uncomfortable situations. Like we're doing Muay Thai, we're doing boxing, we're doing swimming. Sure. So, comfortable and I had to basically his thing will so I know Texas kind of in and out here do you want to coach yourself right now and uh, I mean Luke was there when I was uh, bitching about some fins or something and then Raph calls me out and I was like all right I'll shut up now yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he's you know he he really knew he knows how to like really crack the whip and to finish the story of what Texas is talking about, Texas is such a terrible swimmer that Roth gave him these fins so he wouldn't drown. And uh, and after uh, a couple laps, Texas is like, man, these are really like, was it was it digging into your ankles or was it just the plantar flexion was like uh, grinding up through your ankle joint, Texas? Well, I got terrible ankles. It was it was a, a too small, bad ankles, and I was uh, just being a bitch basically. Yeah, and I guess to to bring it back to something that a lot of us can relate to is that client who's like, my wrists hurt on front squatting mm-hmm. in the first month they front squat because they haven't developed uh, either that strength, flexibility, stability, or just general tolerance just to that impact, position. Yeah, to that to that impact. And uh, so it, it was, and that's the analogy that Roth gave. But his approach, it wasn't uh, suck it up. It wasn't being a hard ass. He's like, okay, this is your opportunity. Uh, you can apply empathy to this situation. So it wasn't just calling me out. It was, how could I learn from that situation? So mm-hmm. was that size too small and affecting my performance? No. 
Okay. So it was, uh, it was, it was unique. It was good. And it's one of those moments that stuck with me. Yeah. Text just being bitch in the pool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when, when you and, and you were, we what? Did our, our pool workout or our beach workout, actually, when we were at a beach workout. I was attacked by a 10 foot you got man of war. Well, please. There aren't even man of wars in this in, in this environment out here. I don't know. I we'll have to go back to the tape of that story, but I'm pretty sure it's man. Whatever. Either you're that getting, or great white shark. You're getting, something. you're getting smoked out there. <laughs> so you just gave up. I'm like Kelly, why are your eyes red? And she's like, I'm crying. It's too hard. <laughs> That's impossible. It's terrible. It's impossible. But uh, so Kelly, let's talk about the Probin's chart article. Okay. That got a lot of that got a lot of noise. There was some good discussion on there. Yeah, there were there was some good discussion. Um, I just kind of put that out there because I figured that uh, information that might be somewhat obvious to your seasoned strength and conditioning coach may not be so obvious for others or uh, other athletes potentially. So I just thought it was a good idea to <coughs> familiarize people with uh, that that template and have folks understand that uh, strength and conditioning is based off of rep ranges and intensities. And it also gave us an opportunity to open up some dialogue uh, regarding intensities, regarding percentages, which is something that we dive into quite a bit at the seminar um, and how intensity is really, really going to dictate that rep range. So, um, you know, you don't just arbitrarily choose one to three reps with uh, a relatively lighter weight and assume that that's going to drive some sort of CNS um, adaptation or a power adaptation. So uh, I thought there was good discussion on that. And it also, you know, we talked, uh, Ingo and I talked a little bit on there about how, and, and text can relate this, relate relate to this as well because we talked on email about how the terminology has changed over time as well um, in terms of strength muscle endurance and um, how we perceive I don't think very much has changed in terms of the physiological adaptations that Prelipin's chart is trying to drive but uh, the terminology has changed just a bit because I think they put power down in like the 65 percent range originally um, so yeah it, it was a good, good discussion um, uh, Tex, uh, was there anything that you wanted to add to that? Because I know that we yeah. had that conversation offline. Just the, um, in my experience with percentages and meeting and working with other coaches. Uh, so I, I loved it uh, just overall and just how basic and clear it was when coaches try to just basically overcomplicate things, uh, even even if it's a squat cycle, even if it's, it's uh, just anything. They, they take a one rep max, and then I think Prilpin kind of, uh, he uses that, but then he provides a range and he reminds you of that. So Kelly did a great job of uh, just bringing that all together and make it as simple as possible for people to come back and understand and then apply that to either their coaching, their athletes, or what the hell their coach is doing to them. Yeah. And just understanding, too, that um... – you know, I didn't dive too far into it just because I knew that it could potentially be another article or extremely in-depth rabbit hole. But, um, you know, like I said, percentages for amateur athletes not necessarily being that that dictating factor for uh, rep ranges. You know, the, the, the percentages on Prelipin's chart are based on very, very well-trained, high-level athletes, uh, weightlifters, and I believe they used a thousand athletes for that 
to to derive those numbers and percentages. So we're talking about um, a level of maturation, physical maturation, and then training age, right? So these these lifters, and they were weightlifters, had you know uh, probably tens of thousands of hours of training. And uh, you know when you're talking about an amateur athlete, which is a lot of people who want to jump jump on that strength training program. Um, it's just important to note that uh, that speed of the bar and having a honed in coach's eye is really going to be that key. And, I, you know, I wish I could say we could just bottle all that up and sell it at the seminar, <laughs> but you can't, you cannot do it and you can't. Um, and that's why you could potentially uh, not only bury an athlete, but more to the point you could, you could um, potentially inhibit an athlete's ability to get stronger because you're basing the percentages off of um, an untrue or an untrained 1RM or a hypothetical 1RM. And I can't think of anything worse to do to an athlete than waste their time with, uh, you know, submaximal weights when it's not appropriate for the, the adaptation you're trying to drive. Yeah, this reminds me of uh, a story down in Texas. I was uh, just having a conversation with uh, a grad assistant coach. And so he was a grad assistant for football, and then he had the women's golf team. And uh, we just got into a pretty good conversation, and he gave me his his binder for the year, uh, the upcoming year, because this was summer, for his golf team. And he had every single percentage, every single rep just map, mapped out for these girls. Mm-hmm. And I saw him. Uh, one of the girls that was there for summer and I just uh, saw him training one of the girls and I was like uh, let's let's go back through this binder and talk about what you're trying to accomplish because it was like her 65 percent was you know like a saltine cracker it was crazy <laughs> he uh, every, he did it by the book but uh, he didn't have much experience kind of working with amateurs and female athletes so it was necessary for him to understand what Prilipin was trying to accomplish when he made this. Yeah. And you know that you're really like, you've got the twofer there. So you almost have like, you know, a perfect storm of low testosterone and an untrained athlete. So like you said, no wonder she was working with like such lightweight. Um, There was no way, you know, hypothetically that she could really, exhibit that one RM, like a true one RM. And like you said, if you go back to the intention of the program, the intention of the chart, it, uh, you know, it's based on that intensity, the intensity factor. Um, what is the physical intensity of this? It, um, what's the difference if you're using like your, say your competition one rep max or just your training one? You know, like if I say you go to the Power Athlete Team Series, which is coming up in a month or so, and I squat like the best that I've ever squatted PR, um, you know, it's the well, environment, the, the crowd, is- all those outside factors are going to influence um, my performance. So I put up a huge fucking number and then I go yeah. back, you know, to the drawing board and back at the gym, you know, should I use that? that marker as my one RM and use percentages of that to continue to try and, you know, improve my performance under the bar or should well, I? Denny, you just, yeah, you just answered your own point. I think, you know, you know what the difference is and uh, you know, there is a huge difference and it all comes down to in your training. If, if you are, if you decide that you want to take a percentage based on 
your all-time best out of lit out of meat and uh, you're getting buried because you've basically chosen a percentage too high then obviously that's that's not um you know that's not going to be advantageous for you so that's why so many people use their training one rms to base their strength training off of because there are these uh these hyper um i don't know hyper emotional states that have that have that uh, impact on getting a a one rm in competition that you just can't achieve you know maintaining those levels of arousal we'll call it in in training in training and training is is uh is going to be very very difficult and the last thing you want to do is uh well you know the second to last thing to do you want to do is really get buried in your training and and be slow when you're not supposed to be slow um or be missing reps when you really should be missing reps so you kind of you know i think you kind of know you you would know yeah, I, just jumping off what, what Callie just said, that's a great point, is uh, it's kind of like uh, the Russians versus Bulgarians. It's it's training competition max versus training max. And speed is going to be the X factor based off kind of what we're diving into right now. Denny, so if you take your competition max from a year ago and you're trying to maybe up it by five pounds or meet it, it's probably going to be slow and grindy. So maybe use some training maxes, get it, get the bar moving as fast as you can, and then feel explosive going into the competition. Right. Yeah. Um, that. That's. Ex- I, that, John and I had the same com- uh, conversation like that um, when we were going to to deliver that treadmill last week. You know, we we're talking about like, um, say you're taking your squat and you're recording the number you're you're working up to a one rm the moment that that bar starts to slow down say i my one rep max is like 400 pounds um and i'm working up to that and i I hit 365 and it's fast i go to 370 still fast 375 it starts to grind stop you're done yeah. You're done for the day, you know, record your weight and then, you know, ne- next squat day, try and come back and, um, you know, try and come back and work up to that weight again and, and improve the speed on that. Um, how many people do that? You know, what if you're feeling good and you're like, well, shit, man, you know, I, I could probably stand up 450, but it's going to be slow and grindy. Is that necessarily a good thing? And, um, you know, you guys are taking a stance on speed, 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 speed. You get to that, uh, you know, we were talking compensatory acceleration and Luke, I mean, that was as soon as I got back and I started noticing, uh, some of the people that I've been working with, they all like just started looking slow to me, you know, (laughs) every when even when they got to that mechanical advantage, there was no speed. You know, it was just, everything was slow and grinding. And I was like, oh my God, now it's everywhere where I fucking look. Right. Isn't it, you You almost wish you didn't know it because that's uh, all yeah. busy too. Ignorance yeah. is bliss. So, and one thing I guess to preface as well, like we're talking about a, a trained population of athletes that would benefit from some speed training. Sure. Uh, so, go, I mean, winding all the way back to maybe some of the earlier stuff we were talking about, like, is it for everyone? For our amateur athletes, let's say younger kids who are just being introduced to this stuff, they don't even have a year under a barbell, like just let them lift some weights, mm. right? And uh, I think the biggest thing there is going to be coordination. And they just, 
they just got to get that coordination, but still trying to move the bar as fast as possible. But uh, don't be afraid to have like an untrained athlete show some grind. Um, but for people who've been training for a few years, if that's a common theme in your lifts, ugh. you know, it's been half a decade and you're lifting weights and you just like, you've had the same speed and you're working yeah. and slowing down as load increases. I mean, you want to try and, and increase that rate of force production. So maximal force comes sooner and quicker. And uh, so you can start to whip that bar and shake some plates. And, and that's the objective. That's that strength. I mean, even if you watch these guys who are, squatting 800 900 pounds raw a lot of them make it look fast yeah know? yeah and, and that's not because they're training you know they're grinding on their lips it's because they're they are trying to move the bar as fast as they and can. kind of like demi backward to your conversation with john that's one of the the great things about working out here and and you know following our training system and our methodology um is that you know it has never ever been about the numbers for us. Like it's always about who, who looks the sexiest, who's moving the bar the fastest, who has the best posture and position and who is explosive, you know? Uh, and it's, we want that, that serious base level of strength, but what we want is the ability to utilize that strength dynamically and use it in a way that's going to make us athletes, you know, not just make us good at squatting or strong squatters, but how's that going to transfer to virtually anything else we want to do, right? So if we dive into any other weird, uh, you know, discipline and, or, or maybe just traditional disciplines like flag football or something, you know, how are we going to be able to utilize that? So, um, the emphasis is not on the number. And I think that that's a, you know, that's just a mindset that's really hard for your traditional setting to, or traditional strength conditioning setting to kind of overlook. Um, and John is, has been in Luke's ear, Luke's in my ear, I'm in their ears saying like, listen, we need to drop 10 pounds off that. It's looking slow, you know? And it, it really, it's just, it's just how fast are you moving? And on, and likewise on training days that we are feeling real froggy, um, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You are way too fast at that weight. You know, how many reps are you doing at this weight? All right, we, we need to, we need to pack on 25 pounds. Let's, let's add another, you know, 15 pounds or whatever. And, uh, and make sure we're identifying that, that training stimulus and, and really driving that. Yeah, I remember, I remember when I first heard that, um, you know, uh, the speed and the dynamic uh, movement under the bar, when I went to the very first CrossFit football seminar, it's like, I heard it, but I, I didn't know what it meant. Right, you, know? you didn't like internalize it, yeah. Yeah, it, it took, it's taken years to really just kind of get the point of, uh, you know, what John was trying to say then, and uh, it, it's it's totally like evident now. I mean, like I said, it's every word I see. And I think that's where power athlete is kind of ahead of the curve in strength and uh, strength and conditioning field in general. And um, I had somebody come up to me uh, yesterday. He, we were squatting and um, he's like, you know, my, my deadlifts have gone up and his, his background is uh, CrossFit, you know, so he's conditioning every single day. Yes, we have like a strength element, uh, but you know, it, it'd be, I, I kind of feel it'd be different. Say if he conditioned maybe just once or twice instead of like five or six days a week. Um, he's like, my, my deadlift is going up. My benching's going up, 
but I can't, I can't get my squat to go up. And, uh, from watching him squat, I'm like, well, it's slow. You know, you're, you're slow as hell standing up with that bar. And, uh, I could just see like the confusion on his face. And, um, I was kind of talking about like how you should try to speed up when you're at that mechanical advantage. And he went back under the bar and he tried to do that. And I could see him try it, but I don't think he just, he just couldn't like activate all those fast twitch fibers to do it. So and yeah, it I mean, it's learned. Like, Man, either is it a technical thing or is the fact that, you know, is it just the nature of a CrossFitter to have too much like slow twitch because they, that's how they train, you know? They, that's what we're seeing. I mean, I don't know if they have the intramuscular coordination to basically flip that switch. So number, how many muscle fibers you're recruiting? Uh, the rates, how fast they're going, and the pattern, what order they're going in. So uh, it's numbered pattern, then then rate. I'll mix up that order. But that's that's what we're seeing. It's just, uh, you know, shut off, go hard through this workout, fuck form, maybe sometimes for some people. But, uh, you know, it's not explosive. It's not one. It's work capacity versus replication of speed. We're in the replication of speed business. Yeah. And he, and I, and I told him, I'm like, well, you know, you're, you would have to kind of switch up the program if you wanted to be more of a fast twitch athlete. And he's like, well, so your philosophy is different. And I'm like, well, no, it's, it's not different. You know, it, it sounds like I was trying to tell him like, you're ready to get a little bit more specific. You know, if, if you want, if your goal is to be fast in, in all the lifts, you're going to have to start changing your, uh, you know, like your training program. Um, not, not worry about uh, work capacity so much moving lightweight faster, but starting to um, try to move the heavier weight faster, become more of a fast twitch uh, athlete. And I don't know if you, if you can do that, if your wheelhouse is slow twitch, lightweight endurance, you know what I mean? Metcons that are like 20 and 30 minutes every single day instead of uh, maybe shorter, faster, and this violent, like, intensity, pow, 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 pow. That makes sense? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there was just, a, like, some confusion on that part, and... Uh, he came up to me later on and I kind of talked a little bit more about it, but it got me thinking like, can you, um, can you take like, a, a, your general CrossFitter, you know, say your Metcons are, you get a couple 20 minutes out of five days, two days a week, you're at 20 minutes. The third day you have a 30 minute, conditioning and then maybe two 10 minutes or less so on the average you're doing a little bit longer conditioning um is that going to develop more like slow twitch fiber and then you start wanting to create more of a fast twitch uh crossfit athlete do you have to start writing like do more intervals say every Metcon is five minutes and less with some sort of 
one minute rest period or two minutes and then it's Denny, five minutes again. Yeah, Denny, it all you comes know. down it all comes down to the said principle, right? Uh, we're yeah. gonna have to we're gonna have to establish an order operations and and you look at a for let's say most competitive programs that we've put into place, there are different phases of training. So assuming this CrossFit proverbial CrossFit athlete has a competition that's going to be broad times, moral domains, uh, we need to definitely have a high level of work capacity uh, leading into that competition. We like to say that that cycle training that work capacity is going to take maybe eight weeks, depending on the athlete, but you're going to have to know the athlete and you're going to have to do some trial and error and you don't hit it right the first time. Typically prior to that, you're trying to get that athlete as strong as possible in their technical lifts, right? If you took, if you want to know what the muscle fiber type is, a lot of those one RMs, two RMs, three RMs are going to be uh, central nervous system dominant. Depending on how they're executed, it's going to be uh, development and training of your fast twitch, your fast twitch anatomy, and that's how it works. And then you have a detraining effect once you start to. You typically have a detraining effect once you start your conditioning or work capacity cycle. So let's say you you go into competition uh, pulling five singles with two and a half minutes rest on a power clean at uh, 380 pounds. Well, once you start to really ramp up volume, that may drop down to 365, but you know that you're good for it when, you know, when the stars are aligned. Does that make sense, Danny? I mean, it depends. Yeah. It goes back to form follows function. So if you have an athlete who has a weekly cycle and they're training five days a week, and out of those five days, three days are higher volume, 20 minute, 30 minute type of conditioning workouts that let's say uh, you're probably in excess of three to 400 reps of whatever the movement patterns you're input, you're putting in there in terms of our primals push pull. Right. Uh, then that in order to to survive that volume you are not going to be able to perform at maximal force production so the loads must be some maximal so you're going to adapt to that because the majority of your volume is going to be slow movement sub maximal movement even though you have two days of hard charging five minute workouts um I mean, it, some people may respond well to that but at the end of the day look at the stimulus that's imposed upon that athlete did I understand your question right you did. And it's, I mean, it makes total sense. I, and that is a great way to, uh, to explain it, you know? So, you know, so maybe there, there probably are athletes out there that are going to be able to survive that. And, and that's, what's kind of perplexing, but. In well, I mean, yeah. And it's going to like that type of training will still drive hypertrophy for women. And that's why you're seeing women's overall one RMs, um, probably still, they can still maintain them. Um, and they're, they're still getting stronger. So there are different training effects and men are a different animal too. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, form is going to follow function, just like Luke said. So, I mean, if, for example, if your guy at your gym is like, Hey man, I want to, I want to squat some heavy weights. I want to, I want my bar to whip. I want it to look fast. Guess what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to kind of restart to the point where the bar speed is going quickly. The, the bar gets a little whip out of the bottom. It looks like a, a check mark in terms of that velocity map, right? So you have that negative velocity going down, and at the instant that athlete turns over, pow, it should be yeah. instantaneous versus that roller coaster velocity curve. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and then you start training within, you know, where, yeah, numbers matter, but the numbers aren't the load on the bar. The load is going to be assumed as uh, the amount of weight that allows you to, to move the bar in that check mark fashion. And that load's going to increase over time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So now all of a sudden, you know, that's where you might be, you know, might want to invest in that Tendo unit. I know we have one coming that actually is supposed to be delivered today. Today. We should have trained later. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to Tendo my. So my there's, there's also a, uh, a coaching element in there, Denny, in that he's used to, you know, lying on the floor in exhaustion. Perhaps, presumably. Yes. Yes, when that's and from that's what he wants from from wanting from asking him what you know what are you training for when because he's when he starts asking me all these specific questions we have to establish context it's he wants to to trim up lean out you know he wants to freaking lay on the ground and in a sweat angel he wants that whole experience. Yeah, and 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 you know what he probably also says he wants to be strong. And he um, wants to be strong. Ex right, right. Exactly. So, so uh, one of my one of uh, the biggest quandaries and the you know the thing that keeps me up at night <laughs> is wanting to be strong versus wanting to feel strong. And I'm not talking about me personally. I'm talking about. Uh, the emails, the phone calls, the emails, the text yes, messages, yes. the conversation. The numerous conversations that all come down to this one fork in the road. And uh, the, I do believe firmly, and I kind of coined this this phrase like uh, probably a couple years ago, there is a very distinct difference. And this is one thing that differentiates CrossFitters and their training as well in terms of the training that they choose people who want to be strong versus people who want to feel strong. And the sooner you can come to terms with which one of those people you are, the better you'll be able to drive your training. Right. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, I've, I've reached out to some people that text put me in touch with, talk to Steve about it and um, hopefully going to put together um, a, a pre-recorded podcast discussing this very issue and uh, how it drives our training and how it drives our training mentality too, because that's a huge fascination for me. And it's, it's really like, you know, as much as people vocalize their need and wants to get stronger, it, um, you know, you can lead that horse to water and they'll just, instead of drinking, they'll just say, uh, I'd rather do a 20 minute AMRAP. Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that you have to ask your athletes and like, at least at the very least, make them aware of, just put it out there. Maybe, maybe make like a trifold brochure. And it's one of those, like, have you heard the good news? You know, and you go to the house and you just say like, Hey, like you have to make a decision. Do you want to be strong or do you want to feel strong? Right. So prioritizing your training that way. Does that, does that resonate with you at all with this guy? It does. It I does. mean, we've all been, we, I mean, we've all been there, you know, like yeah. for some reason we equate that feeling of, um, you know, ex pure exhaustion to feeling like we've overcome something and yet, and, and we are, uh, you know, by way of that stronger. So we sort of make that, um, that I guess relationship in our mind, but 
uh, keep in mind that those physiological adaptations are a direct result of the type of training. And uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of where hopefully what I can put out there for like a, a future podcast once I get all the information together. Yeah, I think Edwin Kelly learned how to use a computer. Yeah. So I have a computer in front of me right now, but I haven't figured out. She legitimate. There's no plate on it. It's a, her like thousand dollar computer. There's no. There's. She just has her food on it. I'm. I'm. It's open like a book. I'm trying to read it like a book. So. It's multi-purpose. <laughs> this touch screen, it's matter. it's broken. I kind of feel like there's a um, a confusion with like the word intensity, you know. Um, and, and, you know, Hey, CrossFit high intensity, uh, you know, their, their stand on that. Um, yeah, so we heard about this a lot. Yeah. One, uh, one phrase I really like to define intensity. Oh, right before. Yeah. <laughs> what is up with God, that? What a teaser. Uh, Texas is was... in some weird dun grape dungeon. I, yeah. She's in a, he's in a grape dungeon, a but fruit dungeon. The one-liner I like is an expansion of abilities. Expansion of abilities. Is that the one-liner? Because you uh, you went dark on us for a second. Yeah. Oh. Yes, expansion of abilities. That's uh, a Charlie Francis, and he just says it takes one instant. That's why overspeed training works. It just takes one instant to pattern it in your central nervous system. So that, uh, like, the overload on the back squat or overspeed training that's that's true intensity that's uh expansion of abilities yeah so and if if your goal was to get stronger there it is like that overload um yes but that type of intensity so then so there it is um you do this 20 minute amrap and people are calling that well that's intense because at the end of the when, well, when it's over you're breathing heavy and you're, you're smashed into the ground and then, you know, and then this guy's like, shouldn't that get me stronger? Well, it's an, it's a form of intensity for work capacity. Right. Right. It, Where, I mean, the answer is no. It, you, well, it well, depends. It depends on what the training effect is. You know, what the, what CrossFit talks about in terms of their relative maximum intensity at the level one, uh, it's, it's your emotional, but your it's your willingness to go hard. But I mean, there's an intensity model within work capacity where the desired training effect isn't overall strength, right? Right. So I let's think, say, let's say you're practicing Fran. Denny, what is your Fran time? Talk to me. My Fran time's like five minutes. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't care about Fran. <laughs> no, but let's say, okay, so your, your Fran time's five minutes. If you had a two minute Fran, you'd care about Fran. Yeah, yeah that's, or 151, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, let's, but let's say, uh, so let's say I want you to operate with an intensity for Fran, an, an objective to improve your ability to do Fran. You'd go uh, harder. You'd have to go, you'd have to do Fran within, let's say, five and a half minutes, right? Does that make sense? But if you start, if you Fran a seven minute Fran, that won't improve your Fran time. So like the intensity model in terms of like expanding, uh, what, what, what was Texas one-liner? Expanding capability. Ability. Ability. So expanding ability. I mean, that that goes across any vein. Yeah. So it still I mean, works, it still works for that. But remember within all, you know, it's, 
We have priorities in our training system. Yeah, within the within CrossFit as a training system, I want to be a better CrossFitter. Well, then the assumption is you want to do more work in less time. So the intensity model is work versus time, which is CrossFit's the definition of fitness, right? But right. in terms of you know power athlete training, field sports, and what we believe to be the components of athleticism, uh, strength, power, and speed, intensity model within those disciplines is truly load, right? It's load, uh, rate of force production, and within sprint and speed training, it's time. So, I mean, that term intensity is is relevant, and uh, I guess it's more, it can be applicable to any of those. But it's multidimensional, it's, and I yes, think that's yes. the problem is, is the fact that intensity, it does, you know, for, for let's say a less seasoned strength coach or less seasoned CrossFit coach they or can't CrossFit see the athlete. Dimension. Yeah, they only see one version of intensity, and that is truly effort. Right. Yes. That's emotional effort and emotional duress. Like that was intense. That's intensity. But once you can step back and see the components and the measurable components of a training system or a stress within a training system, then you understand that there are certain levels of the application of that stress. And it's either through what, like we generalize it as volume and intensity. That's why it's so goddamn hard to talk to people whose only or first exposure to any kind of strength and conditioning is CrossFit. And CrossFit's a great tool, but if your only exposure is uh, their definition of fitness, and that's how you quantify intensity, um, then they have a hard time making that mental adjustment to that multi-dimensional approach to intensity in terms of like what Luke was saying, the other domains, right? So it is, it's a challenge, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's our life at the center. Right. Yeah. Well, I'd say it's difficult to talk to a lot of people that only have one, sure. uh, one experience in strength and conditioning. So whether it's powerlifting, whether it's only Olympic sure. lifting, I mean, yeah. we're all team rats. We do what we love. We give our athletes what we love. So it, it's a true strength and conditioning coach that identifies limiting factors and gives the athlete what they need. Yes. Preach. There it is. <laughs> and, but that's not, even that can be, what if your athlete doesn't want to hear you? <laughs> that, that's the next show. <laughs> yeah, then you move on to the next athlete. Honestly, if your athlete doesn't want, if they don't want to work and they can't, and they're not willing to listen to you, I mean, I imagine it's just like when you have kids, you're just kind of like, well, we just we'll just throw this kid away. Yeah, we'll just one. move there to the next right. kid. There it is. <laughs> I'm so maternal sometimes. <laughs> now here's here's another story for you then. Um, one of one of the athletes at our gym, she's a female, probably, I think she said she's like 45. Um, Which means 140, she's 140 pounds, pretty muscular. She, she comes to our gym. She's on the unlimited. So she's probably there like Monday through Friday. And she's training a sprint triathlon. That's this Sunday. And so she was, you know, she was coming to CrossFit classes, doing that. And then she was doing, she's got some other guy at, um, at the, the facility that's hosting this triathlon. He's like a triathlete coach. He gave her some, um, some kind of like training methods as far as prepping her for the swimming, biking and running. Yeah. So she's doing, 
she's doing all this shit. She's really obsessive, massive OCD. Yep. And she's been telling me now for about two weeks how she's gotten slower at every single thing. Oh, that's her running shocking. times have slowed down, her swimming slowed down, her biking slowed down, her performance no in the gym slowed down. And I'm did like, you, well, Debbie, did our, you slap her she in the sleeps face like two hours, two to three hours a night. <laughs> yeah, and I'm telling her like, you're massively under recovered. You need to take time off. And she looked at me and like, won't accept that. Time off. So Denny, Denny is, is your, I'm doing air quotes now. Is your friend, did your friend just have a birthday? No. Are you sure this isn't you? Are you training for a sprint triathlon? <laughs> no. <laughs> she, she compares herself to another girl in our gym who really does well. Uh, she's younger, but she does really well um, as far as like in the CrossFit classes and she does all these runs every weekend. But that girl goes to bed at eight o'clock every single night. Denny, this woman, this woman, she has issues. And even if she's Was that Christopher Walken? <laughs> this woman. So, I, you know, I mean, I, it's it's blatantly obvious what the problem is, but I, the only reason I brought that story up is because it, here I'm saying, you know what, don't do anything for a week. And I, I can't do that. So let her complain, let her say she can't do it, <laughs> then tell her to shut up, honestly. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily shut up or shut the fuck up, but like, that's what I'm thinking, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, you you, yeah. gave, you you have given her your expertise, right? And she can either latch onto it or not. But the thing is, you know, it's she's just coming to you to complain and to show you that she's, uh, I don't know, competitive with this other chick. Great, well, good for her. Like, next time she complains about being slow, and ask her if she's doing the things that you tell her to do. When she says no, say, hey, well, how's that working out for you? You know? And then, uh, you know, it just, in terms of like people who are complaining about certain things, my biggest pet peeve, both in training and outside, is just people complaining who don't make the changes necessary to overcome those obstacles, right? So if you, if you are going to seek the knowledge and you're going to essentially waste your time or take up your time with picking your brain you maybe you send her a program maybe you send her some articles on sleeping or whatever you know she can either latch onto that or not you know it doesn't affect you but ultimately she just she sounds like somebody who just has issues right she's you know trying to compete with some chick who's half her age in the gym and she just needs to pick one thing stick with it and get some sleep right like exactly something's something's going on with her yeah. Crazy. We lost Tex. Tex is gone. Now we can talk the fun stuff. Finally. <laughs> so let's be honest. Who's seen who's seen uh, Hercules? You only bring that up because you know you're the only person here Danny, who would see watch it, it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Oh man. Well, I saw it four times. You did not. I we have to cut I have a sh another showing at one PM. So we're gonna have to cut <laughs> the show soon. It's, it's amazing. No. Amazing is it's epic, dude. And by no means is it like a I don't think it's gonna win any awards like Fast and Furious might, but what awards did Fast and Furious it's win? It's such a popular story, right? <laughs> I mean it's tried to be done before. I think of the old old school Lou Ferrigno Hercules. Yeah, man, it's no, I, I had a good time with it. I thought it was really cool. I like the effects. I think the rock is pretty good in it. And uh, it's like, it's funny. It's good. It's, it kept me entertained. I, I love it. 
it was um, some of the feats of strength in there are amazing. And uh, that's going to be my next blog post. How strong <laughs> is The Rock? Would you say that the feats of strength were almost no. unbelievable? <laughs> no, they're definitely within the realm of belief. Um, it, for you, for you. Did they get, is the story accurate? Yeah, uh, because from what I know of Hercules, like. Denny, he, I don't know. It was a documentary. I don't know if you know that. But <laughs> no, movie but is... <laughs> I think this, there's different ways it can be told because it, according to like the comic or, you know, um, not the comic, but I, I guess the, the way the story goes is like Hercules gets tricked by one of the goddesses to basically kill his family and it drives him insane. Mm-hmm. And can you, that old can you story make a movie, again? Can I you guess make a movie thought- like that and put the rock as the main character and then kind of go down that route? So I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but those elements are included. Let's just Good. put it that way. Okay. Um, but I mean, uh, it is definitely a classic uh, uh, hero journey, you know, and um, I don't know. I was entertained. But if you're like going to warning, okay, if you're going expected to be absolutely floored by an amazing story, and this goes out ben to Tex, who didn't, who didn't like Planet of the Apes, which was easily five stars, uh, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Not enough but is, human I mean, dialogue in that movie. Is it shiny? Is it flashy? I saw it in 3D. I mean, it was pretty good. Let me just cool. tell you the scene. This is not a spoiler alert, okay? Well, it might be, but this is what I'm gonna write about. Listen to this. So there is a, a battle scene where they, the uh, the army that Hercules is leading totally smashes up this other, the bad guys, I guess. And uh, the, the commanding barbarian of this other, this other army says, you know, he's gonna he's gonna take down Hercules. So he takes a charge at Hercules from maybe a half a mile away on this huge stallion horse, <laughs> and he's charging at him. And Hercules sends his army back and starts walking at this horse. Okay, get this. Okay, so the bad guy then draws his sword, which is like an eight foot long, massive sword. Just <laughs> gallop, make a galloping noise for me. Okay, well, then a little faster. Yeah, like that. And, like, it's Hercules. It's the bad guy. Hercules, the bad guy. And as soon as this guy comes in and draws to go and swipe (laughs) and chop Hercules in half, Hercules, a.k.a. The Rock, ducks the sword, 180 turn, and shot puts the horse 10 feet in the air. (laughs) It was amazing. With the guy on him, and the horse lands on the guy. He shot put a horse 10 feet in the air. Is that the believable feat of strength? Oh, it's totally accurate. There's no strings. Couldn't see any strings. I, was I, don't know if this is, I don't know if this is relevant to the story, but our listeners should note that Luke has a raging erection right now. <laughs> no, that it's a zipper. <laughs> oh, it was great. So then there's another scene, and this isn't gonna be a spoiler. This is another like realistic, no strings. There was clearly no special effects on this. <laughs> where Rock uses his club, boom, hits a trailer made out of what, like logs. And this trailer, I'm assuming based off of my experience picking up a pallet earlier, uh, <laughs> this trailer probably weighed 2,000 pounds. So he slams it down and single leg kicks it, okay? Single leg kicks this trailer 30 feet. <laughs> so through those two, 
displays of strength, I'm going to calculate the rock's power lifts. Extrapolate that 2,000 pound uh, leg punch, yeah. foot punch. So how much force does it take to kick a 2,000 pound trailer? If you can lift a pallet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go outside, kick a pallet. <laughs> and I'm going to do some sort of ratio and it's just going to all get calculated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, you've told me the best parts of the movie. And so I no longer feel that burning desire in the head, like 30 feet away. <laughs> I think we calculate bench press and yeah. punch you in the head. See how far you go. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, again, no, it's it's again. some good stuff. And okay. And I know a movie I'm, I'm a pretty silent movie watcher. So even if it's a comedy, like, I, don't, I, I think it's funny, but I'm not going to laugh. I'm just going to watch and be like, oh, that's funny. But if a movie can get me to react verbally and go, whoa, <laughs> out loud into the theater, it's a good one. It's five stars for Luke. That's it. Right. Without control, there were scenes where I was like, whoa. And Ashley's next to me. She's like, shut up. I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing her. But no. to be fair, you gave that movie five stars before when you when you saw like the pre-trailer trailer, trailer like oh, yeah, before yeah. the movie even came out. Yeah. Well, the Rock's next movie is five star movie. <laughs> Not quite sure what it is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh man, good stuff. I'll I'll probably won't see it until you end up pirate downloading it. Should I? Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> no, I don't do that stuff. I'm talking about the other guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Our neighbor. Yeah. Uh, when you download it and end up watching it on the thing. Oh. Whoa. But uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess here's what I would say to most people. Who, if they're just looking to like see a movie, don't spend 15 bucks to see it in 3D. <laughs> if you're just looking And try to get in a matinee where you're going to spend maybe five bucks. For most people, it's probably like a five buck movie. But if you're easily entertained and you're a fan of that stuff, it's great. I loved it. <laughs> So. Do they have some good trailers for any other movies oh, coming out? Yeah, dude. Um, let's see. There is, uh, I don't know. I think there, there's any sci-fi movies coming out. Yes. Oh really? And I try to. I'm, the one that's sticking with me though is uh, I'm not. I'm terrible. Terrible with this. But I tell you, it's like a, it's a story of Moses and with Christian Bale and some other dude, and okay. like it looks pretty epic. Like just. Epic the story of Moses. Yeah, it's what's it called? It's uh, so like didn't Russell Crowe do like a Noah's Lost Ark movie? Yeah, Noah's he, Ark. I don't know. It's I feel Exodus. like these biblical uh, movies. I've heard these stories once or twice. They've been done. Movie. Yeah, but so if it's called that's Exodus, pretty- Gods and Kings. Uh, so that's coming out, and that looks pretty cool. Christian Bale looks pretty. I mean, I don't know. I like him. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Batman. Uh, and then uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. I see Callie liking that one. I'm Sounds not really into that. I like it already. Well, it's got Chris Pratt. He's a hot number. Okay. All right. And then Vin Diesel. What's your big Vin Diesel fan? No, I've lost it for starting now. That you dis you discredited that movie immediately. But he's not he's not a lead character. He's a that's he's um, a voice. Yeah, but that movie is like um that's kind of like a comic book style movie, right? Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, no, yeah it's, a not, Marvel, it's a Marvel. So apparently it's the first Marvel movie. That's not sci-fi. That where the 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 heroes are not guarding the planet Earth. 
I got it. So, so every other Marvel movie is about protecting Earth or yeah. City on Earth, and this supposedly is like a big deal. It's guarding the galaxy. Yeah. Well, yes. Which, if you guys aren't familiar with what the galaxy is, <laughs> it's expanding. <laughs> the universe. Oh, that's the universe. What's the difference between the galaxy and the universe? Though? Seriously? Oh, my God. Uh, what else did I look? But, yeah, Danny, all I know is there's some good stuff I, I didn't remember, but nothing that stood out to me, really. Yeah. I'm just so amped about yeah, I'll probably go check it out this weekend. <laughs> do it, and then uh, you can do. I'm telling you, some good stuff. And then the, like the the way they they retell the the twelve labors of Hercules, they they highlight a few of those, and it's pretty cool. Like it's just pretty, you know. It reminds me of uh, how you grew up and kind of like mostly, your life story. Mostly my life story. See, the but, thing uh, is, I like, can already tell where where you're going with this before you've even started no it's the battle scenes in 300 like the first time you saw those oh, battle okay. scenes and you're like oh that's yeah. just but, central. Uh, the, like I, they do a good job of shooting that the effects yeah. but i have to say if i had to vote which was like the best the first time seeing around like the 300 effects were oh, killer i still that that was still upon seeing that movie for the first time it was it was like when i first saw star wars it, like the same feelings mm-hmm. Just brought up all these emotions. So right. good. So we're, we're we've gone. This is a long one. What? How? How long? Is this how long? Many hours? I think we're an hour and ten minutes. Ah. All right. We should probably conclude. Did right. you um anything coming out with the team series? Oh, so much stuff. Uh, I mean, we are in like the final stage of getting ready for the team series. So <clears throat> you'll be seeing so much more stuff on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, we've been testing all the workouts here at HQ. We'll put up some video demos of the standards in the weeks leading up. Um, but we've, oh man, we've got so much content that's going to go up and registration is blowing up. It's like a super exciting time for us to get all this stuff, all the pieces kind of fall in line. Um, so if anybody out there is interested in registering or you have questions, you can always email us or check out the PAT site. And like I said, there'll be more details in the coming weeks as we post some videos leading up to it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just so much interest coming around, getting a lot of emails from people who have done it last year, right. asking about how it's it's changed or what have you. I mean, we had such a, such a positive response last year, and I think this year is just going to be even better, um, you know, in, in terms of we're having the, the two female, two male, male setup um, still really, really sticking to our roots with this competition in terms of athletic performance. Um, and it, it's always such a fun time. So I'm excited to put out some footage too from last year in case anyone didn't do the competition last year, they can get an idea of some of the workouts and uh, just like kind of the excitement that goes along with this yeah, thing. I mean, yeah. uh, it's, it's such a fun competition to spectate from as well. So um, I'm pumped. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what like the workouts will look like? Because last year it was like if if you power cleaned, then like your workout was kind of themed. Yeah. So this year's this year's the same approach. You can do something different. Sure. Yeah. So this year's a tiny bit different. Everyone still plays their specialist role. So each person is going to find a one RM in their lift in their chosen lift. And then at some point in the weekend, you're going to have to uh, display that same 
specialist uh, aptitude, I guess you could say, that ability in uh, another movement pattern that is similar to the one that you uh, you did. So, you know, just as an example, like if I'm doing, if I'm the power clean uh, specialist, then I'll be doing something that uh, is a violent hip extension, but maybe a little less traditional, you know, maybe it's a reverse ball toss for distance, um, you know, something to that effect, right? Um, mm -hmm. So we'll be testing stuff like that, but what's going to be a little bit different this year too is what is a lot of fun. And I know Luke and I have uh, experienced this as well in competition. It's just like the team competition and doing, uh, we'll have two workouts that are going to be fully team, right? So um, the, the idea too, is that even though the team is coming together, people still are going to generally stick to their wheelhouse because, uh, that's just essentially what uh, our training system is about, you know, um, really developing and, and trying to maximize your ability in the lift that you're strongest in. Um, and in terms of like a sport or a team setting, obviously we all play a position, um, in, in a, in more of a sport environment. So we'll be able to kind of emulate that through the power athlete team series. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be super duper fun. Um, it always is that my, my only sad part is that because it's all happening on the same weekend simultaneously, simultaneously, I won't get to travel around to each of the locations and kind of, uh, get to see all the different athletes. Um, so we'll have people from HQ and a, a couple of our helpers on the East coast run this thing, um, <clears throat> at our satellite locations. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Mm -hmm. But you'll be, uh, you'll get a chance to see some good teams um, in Vegas, right? Cause then uh, that's. Yeah, we'll have all of the, all of the best teams are going to be invited to come out for the final event. Um, so we have, uh, <clears throat> we'll be putting out stuff like that regarding the final event in the coming days. So we've had, a few changes occur over the past couple of weeks, but um, the format of the event is is still staying the same. So we're going to put out some info. Um, in that final event, we will still have an open division, so you can come in and take on the top teams from the other locations. Uh, so it'll be it'll be exciting. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Get get signed up. Mm -hmm. All right, let's call it. Let's call the show. Yeah, it is extremely steamy in this yeah, office. Yeah, we got to crack a window. But, uh, <laughs> all right, Denny, well, thanks a lot, man. Let's, um, we got Hatfield next week. Yeah, right? 18th. What's the date? It's the 14th. Oh, 14th. 14th. Sorry, 14th. Yeah, next so week. It'll be a good 14th. one. So, Beautiful. Cool. All right, we'll talk to you then. Okay, guys. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs>